facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A wonderful Wednesday to you. Welcome to the program, 888-914-9149 is the number to call, 888-914-9149. You can also email the show, kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com, and you can also send me your prayer request. We're doing a novena to St. Joseph. It's day six today, and I've been getting your requests, and I've been praying for all of you who have sent them in. You can also follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Lots to talk about today. We're going to talk about the top 10 verses that you need to know from the Bible to overcome the evil one. It's really a big focus of Lent. Lent starts off, of course, with the gospel of Jesus in the wilderness, dealing with the tempter. We have to deal with them every day as well. There's also a new movie coming out starring Russell Crowe. I I don't want this to be the Russell Crowe Film Festival. I know we talked about Master and Commander yesterday, but he's coming out with a new movie that's fresh. It's coming out on April the 7th, and it's all about the chief exorcist of Rome, the Pope's exorcist. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But, hey, St. Joseph is known as the terror of demons, of course, because he protected the Holy Family, protected our Lord, our Lady from the evil one, uh, kept him safe in Egypt, and we need to ask for his intercession. So on day six of this Novena to St. Joseph, let's pray it together once again. And don't forget, you can find the Novena Prayer to St. Joseph on the relevant radio app. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. To you, blessed Joseph, we come with confidence in this, our hour of need, trusting in your powerful protection your loving service to the Immaculate Virgin Mother of God, and your fatherly affection for the child Jesus, inspire us with faith in the power of your intercession before the throne of God. We pray, first of all, for the Church, that it may be free from error and corruption and be a shining light of universal love and justice. We ask your intercession for our loved ones in their trials and adversities, that they may be inspired by the love, obedience, and affection of the Holy Family, and be to each other a mutual source of consolation and Christian fidelity. We ask your intercession also for our special needs. And you can pray just quietly on your own. I guess you could talk out loud as well. Your your intentions right now. And to keep us all under your protection so that strengthened by your example and assistance, we may lead a holy life, die a happy death, and come to the possession of everlasting happiness in heaven. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Well, I did mention that Russell Crowe's got a new movie coming out called The Pope's Exorcist. It's produced by Sony Pictures, coming out on April the 7th. Here's a clip from the trailer. Check it out. Father Gabriele Amorth. On the night of June 4th, you performed an exorcism. That was not an exorcism. The majority of cases do not require an exorcism. 98% I recommended by him to doctors and psychiatrists. 
The other two percent. I call it evil. We have more questions for you, Father Mort. You have a problem with me. You talk to my boss. The Pope. All right. You have a problem with me. You talk to my boss, the Pope. All right. Well, you can't do much better than that. So I don't know. Did you find his Italian accent convincing Russell Crowe? That's uh, his portrayal of Father Gabriella Morth, the Pope's exorcist. And this is based on, by the way, there are two books. This is a real guy. This is a real guy, Father Gabriella Morth. And he was, of course, the chief exorcist of Rome. He wrote a couple of books published by Ignatius Press. One is called An Exorcist Tells His Story. And the second one is More Stories from an Exorcist. I don't know if there's a third volume. Even more stories from an Exorcist, I'm not sure. But uh, compelling reading. I know a lot of people were big fans of those books, were really into them. And I'm not so sure how closely the movie will hew to the source material. Uh, but having said that, th this is a common theme. This happens every few years in Hollywood. There's some sort of a movie about exorcists, about exorcism. And of course, it all started with the granddaddy of them all, The Exorcist, which came out in 1973. And just before the program, uh, producer Jim was telling me the first time he saw it, he, he was he was so scared. He, he just promised right away, I'm going to become a priest. I'll do anything I can to be an exorcist. I'll do it. I'll do it. Uh, but <laughs> I'm only kidding, Jim. But having said that, uh, it happens every few years. And, and they're, it's box office gold. They always do well at the box office. People are always interested in this topic. They're interested in the supernatural. When it comes down to it, uh, to me, that's that's it, it. It could be considered a bad sign by some of you. You might say this is a you're focusing on the wrong thing. We need to focus much more on God, and that's certainly true. But at least it shows that people are intrigued by the supernatural. I remember uh, talking to high school students. This this sort of stuff always grabbed them. Always had their full attention. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine, and so there was 1973, The Exorcist. That was the the one that really started this trend. You might recall back in 2005, a movie called The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And then, of course, there was The Right, which came out, oh gosh, I don't know, maybe late 2000 aughts, um, maybe 2005 or six or something like that. There's a movie called The Right, starring Anthony Hopkins as The Exorcist in that one. And, and all three of those movies are at least in part based on actual cases, as I'm sure that uh, the Pope's Exorcist, uh, the one with Russell Crowe, will be as well. But whenever these movies come out, then we start obviously asking questions about Jesus and exorcisms. Did Jesus himself do them? And we know that he did. We know that he did. But what surprises a lot of people is to realize that Jesus was not the only exorcist in his time. In fact, there were many exorcists uh, when Jesus walked the dusty hills and roads of Palestine and Jesus even said this himself, by the way, in, in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 12, he asked the Pharisees, hey, well, by whom do your sons cast demons out? Because they had obviously tried to attribute uh, his exorcism powers to the evil one, which makes absolutely no sense. Jesus said, why would Satan bust up his own kingdom? That doesn't make any sense at all. I am the stronger man. He, he, he is strong. He is powerful. But I'm stronger than him. And Jesus is really portrayed as almost God's commando, Schwarzenegger, like he is freeing the hostages. Uh, he says, hey, a stronger man can come, tie up the strong man, and set the captives free. 
Now, Josephus, who's a, who's a Jewish historian of Jesus' times, uh, roughly contemporaneous with Jesus, he talks about uh, other Jewish exorcists at, at that point in history, and they basically did a couple of different things. They needed uh, two things to do an exorcism. Number one, they used a formula to do the exorcism, and it actually was attributed to King Solomon, the son of David. In the Old Testament, Solomon is known as an exorcist par excellence. And so they would use this formula, allegedly from Solomon, they would encant this, and then they would also use, number two, a piece of wood, this special piece of wood, and it was called bunk, or it was called the bunk stick. And it was a piece of wood, and it had this aromatic scent. Uh, some think that it came from the barris root, and this is mentioned in uh, uh, Josephus' works, uh, The Antiquities of the Jews, for example, in book number eight. So probably what would happen would be the, the exorcist would sort of wave this stick, the, the bunk stick, under the person's nose who was thought to be possessed. And so why would they want to do that? Well, the ancients thought that demons, spirits, entered and exited the person through the nose. And in all likelihood, probably the guy would sneeze because it smelled so funny. And the exorcist would say, oh, there goes the demon. Maybe that's why people say, God bless you, when someone sneezes. <laughs> I don't know. But on a more serious note, the reason why these uh, Jewish exorcists would use these incantations from Solomon was because this was all over the place in the time of Jesus. This, this actually got started in, in the biblical book of 1 Kings chapter 4. And then later traditions, in the Book of Wisdom, chapter 7, there's a book called The Testament of Solomon, uh, not in the Bible, but it was a, a book that was kind of floating around. And Solomon, don't forget, was the son of King David. Jesus also is called, in the Gospel, the son of David. And so, all right, if you're the son of David, then you should really be doing some of the stuff that the original son of David did, King Solomon, including exorcisms. And, and he does do those things. He does do, and in fact, I think the exorcisms are even more important for Jesus' message about the kingdom and its truthfulness. I mean, it's easy to say, I'm bringing a message of the kingdom of God, and I, I can forgive sins. I am God in the flesh, although he doesn't say it quite like that uh, in the scriptures, but clearly he's doing things and saying things that only God can say or, or do. It's easy to say that, but how do you back it up? Well, of course, with forgiveness of sins, we could think about the paralytic in, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, and of course, they start whispering, how can this guy forgive sins? Who does he think he is, God? Well, yeah. And, and then he proves it, quote-unquote, by healing this paralyzed man, which is a stupendous miracle. And the, the idea is, if I can do that, then maybe you should believe me about the other thing that you can't see, the forgiveness of sins. But... This idea that he's setting the captives free, the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of Satan is being busted up. The best proof of that is in the exorcisms. And this is all over the Gospels. They are littered with references to Jesus doing exorcisms. And, and even secular writers talk about Jesus as a doer of wondrous deeds. This is, in fact, in Josephus' writings. He's not a Christian, does not believe in Jesus. He was known to be a miracle worker. And his reputation as an exorcist uh, spread far and wide. But what made Jesus' exorcisms way more impressive than what anybody else was doing was the way, the manner in which he performed them. He didn't need any rigmarole. 
He didn't need any incantations from Solomon. He didn't need the bunk stick, the barris root, or any other kind of bunk, if you'll pardon the pun. He, he simply says to the demons, in effect, shut up and get out. And this is what it says in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. It says they went into Capernaum, and that was kind of the home base of Jesus during his ministry. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately, now Mark's Gospel always says this, it's an action-packed Gospel, immediately. And then this, and then this. It's... So immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I suppose I don't need to do the voices when I I read this, but it's, it's more fun, isn't it? But Jesus rebukes him, and he says to him, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. So people are amazed by this. They, they are truly amazed. And that's, that's part of why Jesus' reputation gets so big. Because of his healings, everyone wants a healing. They say that 25% of the population in Jesus' time was really, really sick at any given day. He's a one-man walking health care clinic. They just touch the fringe of his garment. They're healed. Who needs Medicare? But also, as an exorcist, a lot of people were infested with demons looking for exorcisms. And Jesus does this as much as he can, but he knows that uh, even if I heal these people, and I want to do this as much as I can, the message of the kingdom is paramount uh, because salvation of eternal souls trumps even the healing of the body as important as that is. Now, a lot of people, by the way, they, they, they do wonder why Jesus would command silence from the demons. Why would he tell them not to speak? They know who he is. They've correctly identified him, the Holy One of God, the Messiah. That's kind of code for the Messiah. Why would he tell them not to talk about this? Wouldn't this be a good thing? Wouldn't this further his mission? Well, part of the answer lies in the fact that Because he's the Messiah, Jesus doesn't want acclamation from demons. He doesn't want to use demons as his public relations team. And given the tense political situation at the time as well, there were so many false messiahs around the time of Jesus. Jesus was not the only one who claimed to be the Messiah. Now, he was the Messiah, but there were others who were false claimants, messianic claimants. We even have them in our own day and age. Think about David Koresh. Waco, Texas, Waco, Texas, uh, back in uh, the 90s. Think about that tragedy that unfurled there. So there were many would-be messiahs in Jesus' time, too. Most of them were killed by the Romans, but he doesn't want to have this premature public announcement of his messiahship to those who could end his ministry before it really gets going. All these guys were executed, as I said, as political threats to Rome, these false messiahs. So I Silence on the matter is prudent for the moment, and especially when it comes to Mark's gospel, there's this idea of what's called the messianic secret. I think that's totally overplayed, that Jesus wants to keep it a secret, that he's the Messiah. He, he is the Messiah. He knows it. He wants other people to know it, but he, he doesn't come out and say it in an explicit way, but for those who have ears to hear, he explains it in a culturally relevant way 
uh, especially to his fellow Jews, that if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you're going to get this. If your heart's open to God, you're going to figure it out. That's part of the parable teaching as well that, that he likes to use. But anyways, just like um, in, the, in the exorcism movies as well, even to the present day, and I'm sure this is going to be in, in the Pope's Exorcist film. And, I, and again, I'm not saying go see this movie. I'm sure it's got a lot of, it's going to be R-rated for sure. It may have a lot of stuff that will be extremely disturbing to people. Some of it will be played up for the sake of movie entertainment, if you will. Some of it may be legit. And the truth of, of demons and, and the reality of hell is far more scary than anything the movies could conjure up. But in an exorcism film, you see this. This is actually a feature of real-life exorcisms, and we've had exorcists appear on Relevant Radio before, and I'm sure they would all say this. I'm not an exorcist by any stretch of the imagination. No, of course not. But they do involve a power struggle, and it's usually around the issue of what's your name. The exorcist is trying to figure out what is the demon's name, trying to get the demon to give up their name, because if you know someone's name, that implies that you have some sort of power over them their identity. And, and that's why the demon coming out of this guy in Mark's gospel says, I know who you are. He's trying to get power over Jesus. He's trying to establish dominance, if you will. And Jesus says, shut up and get out. I'm the powerful one here. You know, you need to know your place. Get out of here. Anyways. So it's fascinating to note. I, I've always found it fascinating to note that the demons do recognize they do know who Jesus really is and, and they must obey him. But often, it's not the case with human beings. They have trouble seeing who Jesus is, and even if they do know who he is, there are times when we don't obey him. And, and that goes for us as committed Catholics as well. This is one of the reasons why we have to go to confession, because there are times when we turn away from God. It shouldn't be, but it's, it's the reality of the situation. And Jesus knows our weakness. And this is part of what Lent is all about, a conversion again and again and again. Do we need to be worried about the presence of the demonic? in our own time. Well, as C.S. Lewis once once put it in his incredible book, The Screwtape Letters, he, he once said this, there are really two errors that we can fall into, and they're, they're kind of like ditches on either side of the road. And he said, quote, one of, one of the problems is to disbelieve in the existence of demons. The other is to believe, but to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the demons themselves, are equally pleased with both errors, end of quote. So it's often been said, and this is a great quote from another movie, The Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. So that, that's one way you can fall astray. That's one ditch on one side of the road. The other one is to know that they exist, but to be kind of obsessed with them, to be having an interest in them that's unhealthy. And so we got to avoid that. So the, the right way to look at it, of course, is always from God's perspective. So when we come back on the other side of the break, I'm going to give you the top 10 verses that you need to know from the scriptures for overcoming the evil one. 888-914-9149. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hello, John Mayer for you. Last train home. Some of you guys are on the train right now. Maybe you're on the subway, a streetcar, listening to the program on your way home from work. 
888-914-9149 is the number to call. You can also email me, Kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And, hey, well, one thing you can do is email me your prayer request for this novena to St. Joseph that we're praying together each day on the show. I want to thank Kathleen. want to thank Heidi. want to thank Peg. Peg, it will come back to you. Yeah, I'm praying for you. Uh, the requests that you sent, really appreciate those. Uh, that's fantastic. 888-914-9149. We were talking before the break about Jesus the exorcist and how there were other exorcists in Jesus' day, but the way that he did it was on another level entirely, as you might expect, being the divine incarnate Son of God. We also talked about the upcoming movie with Russell Crowe, one of my favorite actors, can you tell? We've been talking about him all week. <laughs> uh, coming out on April the 7th, it's called The Pope's Exorcist, and some of you guys are freaked out by this. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Raymond in Brentwood, California. Hi, Raymond. Hey, Kale. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing, sir? Good, good. Always enjoy your show. Hey, I've got to tell you about the Russell Crowe. I didn't even know the movie mm-hmm. was coming out, but I took my... My teenage daughter, she's actually 18, we went to see a movie called 65 over the weekend. Oh, yeah. PG-13. But, okay. But all of the trailers, with the exception of one, had to do with the demonic, including Russell Crowe's trailer for this film, this upcoming film. Mm-hmm. Very, very disturbing and graphic. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So I would, um, you know, if you've got curious kids or you know teenagers who want to see the trailer i would even tell parents not to let them see it it's really really scary stuff i mean i was, my daughter and i were looking and said oh my gosh every trailer has some demonic theme but that wow. russell crowe in particular was disturbing because it was you know coming supposedly from a catholic perspective but boy i mean i had to when i was doing a little exam in that night i said hey lord i'm sorry if i was <laughs> I should have closed my eyes or something, but um, I suspect it's going to be rated R, and no, no I don't doubt. think it's. I think it's going to be really disturbing um, if people go, you know, expecting sort of a Catholic view of things. Um, I wouldn't even recommend it. Like I said, the trailer is scary enough. It is pretty scary, and if you could just hang on the line for a second, Raymond. Yeah, that's why the the little excerpt that we played earlier in the program that that was the the most sanitized thing I could get out of the trailer. There, there was a lot of scary stuff that I did not want to play for sure. So certainly viewer discretion is advised. Um, if you're an adult, I'm not going to tell you what to do, whether you should watch it or not. But having said that, definitely for kids, this is this is going to be an R-rated movie. There's no question about it. It might be yeah. better to read the books. Um, it might be Ooh. a better... Uh, yeah. A more spiritually yeah. enriching like experience. Like I said, my daughter, would, like I said, she's 18, and we kind of looked at each other and we went, oof. Mm, yeah, not good. <laughs> yeah, and, and certainly there is a there's going to be some shock value, and you might expect that for Hollywood. They want to sell tickets, of course. They're going to want to, um, you know, make it as scary as possible. Um, but by the way, they just I hadn't heard of that movie that you just mentioned that you did see. It's called Sixty Five. What what's that about? It's um, with um, uh, Driver is his name. I forget his first oh, name. Adam Driver. Oh yeah, is this Adam the one Driver. about so dinosaurs and stuff? About- yeah. I guess the premise is the the, the um, uh, a, a ship from another civilization travels through time and ends up on the Earth at sixty five million years ago yeah, during that's right. I guess the Jurassic time. So um, a lot of suspense. You know, my daughter loves dinosaurs, so we had mm-hmm. we read Jurassic Park as a, a read aloud when she was younger. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I, my daughter and I both said, don't know if we would watch that one again either. But it's just sort of <laughs> you know, bubblegum yeah. bubble stuff. Good yeah. suspense. And, and, of course, the dinosaurs, you do a great job on that. But hmm. can't say we'd recommend that either. <laughs> so. that, that's that's interesting. Well, that, that just kind of makes me think, you know, Adam Driver doing this movie, who's, who's taken pretty seriously as an actor. It kind of makes me think about... Will Smith, a lot of people were talking about Will Smith, of course, with the Oscars. He wasn't there. He's been banned, of course, for the famous slap heard around the world for a few years at least. But I, I remember reading about him. when He was really smart. When he started his career, he researched box office history, and he, he researched the top grossing movies of all time. And most of them had to do with things like aliens, um, you know, supernatural stuff, whatever. He, he knew all the genres, and he only tried to make movies like that. And think about it, you know, Independence Day, Men in Black, stuff like that. So he, there, he, he was really smart about how he went about his career. And maybe Adam Driver is like, yeah, you know, I should make a Dino movie at some point just to, uh, to hit the box office there. But anyways, Raymond, thank you so much for the call. I uh, appreciate you listening to the show. Uh, call back anytime. That was Raymond from Brentwood, California. All right, let's go to Mark in Eureka, California. Hi, Mark. Hi, Kale. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I have, this is, this is not a trick question. I do have mm-hmm. my own answers, but I wondered how you compare the passage that you quoted about, um, let's see, our Lord saying that, how, you know, how can the devil cast out the devil with mm-hmm. his, I, th- I think he, it might have been the Great Commission, and the apostles came back and they said, you know, we were we hindered a man casting out demons, and he said, "Don't hinder them if they're casting out demons in my name." And then uh, he also told the parable about the thieves, about a thief being. I think this has to do with exorcism. He said about the thief being uh, sent from the house only to bring back six more. Hmm. Does that not suggest? that it does matter who's doing what, like Satan can deceive you and he'll even throw his own demons under the bus to get you to think he's, you know, working for the good side when he's not. I mean, is there not that potential? Go ahead. I'm hmm. sorry. No, 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 no. That's a, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I, I think about it in the Acts of the Apostles, that, that very macabre scene featuring the seven sons of Sceva, the, these sort of amateur exorcists, and they're trying to cast out this demon, and the demon says to them, well, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? you know, who the heck are you? In other words, and then he, he proceeds to absolutely thrash these guys. So uh, things didn't turn out well for them. But in terms of the name of Jesus, there, there's, of course, great power uh, in the name of Jesus, and yeah, let me let me get back to that uh, in a bit, Mark, because that, that's a really really good question. Um, I do want to give some thought to that, and I appreciate the listen. I appreciate the question that was Mark in Eureka, California, and this this could be a Eureka moment for you, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. But I did want to share with you. I promised I would share with you the top ten key Bible verses that you need to know about overcoming the evil one. And again. We have to keep it in proper perspective, as, as C.S. Lewis says. You don't want to pretend that they don't exist, because they do. But on the other hand, you don't want to have an unhealthy obsession with them either, because Christ is so much stronger 
than the evil one. He's powerful. He's a preternatural force. He's a supernatural being, a fallen angel, Lucifer, smarter than everybody in the world put together, but he's no match for God. Not even close. Not even close. But here's what the, uh, the scriptures say. Here's some verses here, and uh, Crossway's put together a nice list of the top 10. So number one, number one, First Peter, and this isn't an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, but First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's a good one to know because obviously this is something we're focusing on in Lent in particular. Being sober-minded, being very, very watchful, and, and recognizing that as St. Peter, the first pope, he uses this image of a lion prowling around looking for prey. And so, even though that he's a serious threat, another thing that Peter says, we have to keep this in mind too, in the, in the same letter, just a, a couple of verses before this, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. One of the things that we, one of the problems is when we try to fight the spiritual battles on our own without God's help, we think we're strong, we think we can take it on ourselves. Not so, but humility draws God to us, draws the power of God to us, and, and he will help us. God will help us for sure. The second uh, verse in the Bible I want to mention, top 10 verses about the evil one, is of course where it all begins in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 in the garden. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, and this is after he's tricked and tempted our first parents into that sin, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now, I just want to stop here for one second. This, this whole passage is known as the first gospel or the proto-evangelium as it's known by theologians. And really, the gospel is proclaimed in the very first book of the Bible, the promise of a Redeemer, the promise of a Savior. But it's interesting that God says, I will put enmity, and that word enmity means total opposition between you and the woman. He's talking to the devil. Now, clearly this woman can't be Eve because at some level, because of the original sin, she is in some way in league with the devil because she's, she's fallen, for, fallen for his temptation Sin is on the loose in the world and in her life as well. So it's got to be somebody else. And so this is one of the verses that theologians say looks forward to the new Eve. And this, this is all over the writings of the church fathers that Mary is the new Eve, the sinless virgin who does not give in to the enemy, who has this total enmity. This is the immaculate conception. Uh, and so the total enmity between uh, the devil and Mary. And then it goes on to say, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This idea that this is, of course, Christ, who is the offspring of the woman. And he's going to crush the head of the serpent, the devil. But he's going to, the devil's going to be able to bruise his heel. He will deal him a wound, just like a snake bite. You might think the venom is going to kill you. The devil might have thought, aha, I've gotten rid of Christ on the cross. But no, that was actually his moment of defeat. Where, and you see these icons of, of the crucifixion where there's a skull underneath the cross. And you know this is 
one way of looking at that is not only reversing the sin of Adam, but Jesus is the second Adam who succeeds in every way that Adam fails, just as Mary succeeds in every way Eve failed. But there's a great scene in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, where the devil's trying to tempt Jesus, and this little snake slithers out from Satan's garments and you know goes over to Christ, and he just stands up and <laughs> he crushes it with his, with his heel and you know, just stomps on it. And that's a, that's just such a great image. And so, not to spoil the movie for you, of course, you should check it out. There's a lot of stuff in there. And that's also a tough movie to watch, for sure. But maybe something, a lot of people are in the habit of doing it on Good Friday, watching The Passion of the Christ. And again, it is tough to watch, but um, but it's a, it's just a, a great artistic interpretation of The Passion. So that's that's another verse there as well to know, to know very well. And so let's let's look at another one. Number three, top 10 verses that you need to know about overcoming the evil one. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus says, you, he's talking to some of his opponents, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, a lot of people ask, when they they read these words of Jesus, they say, hang on here. Where does it say that the devil killed anybody? How is he a murderer from the beginning? Well, that goes back to, again, the book of Genesis, because it was the devil that tricked and incited Cain to kill his righteous brother Abel. The devil was behind that. And in Genesis, Cain is told, watch out, because sin is crouching at the door. You know, the devil's like a crouching tiger, a hidden dragon, if you will. Michelle Yeoh was in that movie, and she won Best Actress. Anyways, I digress. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, kind of sheds some more light on this as well. It says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. <laughs> it's No good deed goes unpunished, as they say. And that, that was certainly the case when it comes to, to Abel. And of course, that's what the, the enemy does. He's a liar. He twists the word of God. He contradicts it. He wants us to disbelieve in it and not to trust him. All right, let's go to number four, top 10 verses that you need to know about overcoming the evil one in the Bible. This is from James chapter four, verses seven and eight. And this is a great promise. James says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So this is great. When we resist the devil, how do we do that? It's easy. We, we draw near to God. When we draw near to God in prayer, the sacraments, and, and make sure that we're in a good place, we're in a state of grace, we go to confession when needed, with peace in our hearts, we turn to Christ, we don't fall into despair, which is exactly what the devil wants. This is how we bring about uh, his downfall in our lives. And he'll run away, just as he... He fled from Christ as well. The temptation scenes in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, the temptation in the wilderness. He flees. He eventually gives up. And he will come back again maybe another time. And he did, of course, with Christ as well. But when we draw near to God, he will flee from us. Resist him, he will flee from you. It's a great promise. Really good promise. All right, number five. It's from the book of Job. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him 
do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And that's Job chapter 1, verse 12. So the reality is that the devil had to essentially ask God's permission to tempt Job in order to put him to the test. So some theologians have said he, he's a lot like a, a wild animal on a chain. And, and he, he can, he's only got so much chain, and God, God will yank him back. And so nothing that he does is without God's permission. God allows him to tempt certain people at times, and a lot of the temptation that we experience is from our own, the fact that we're drawn to it, our own concupiscence, this, this draw towards sin that we have even after baptism. We can't blame it all on, on the enemy by any stretch of the imagination. And so, by the way, in the, in the longer trailer, I didn't play it for the, uh, the Pope's Exorcist. That's one of the things that Father Gabriele Amorth, played by Russell Crowe, says, hey, this God, the only reason you're doing anything, he's, he's saying this to the demon, is because God is allowing it. That's the only reason that this is even happening. That's a bit of a mystery, no question about it, but um, there you have it. All right, let's take a little break right now on the Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. We'll give you the last five verses that you need to know. Top 10 verses for overcoming the evil one this Lent. We need to know, and I'll fill you in after this break. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. If you want to call in, have a take, have a question, you can talk to me for free. 888-914-9149. We're going through the top 10 Bible verses that you need to know to overcome the evil one and all his tricks and all his temptations in the season of Lent. All right, let's go to number six, and that is from the book of Revelation. There's so much stuff in Revelation about the destruction, the overthrowing of the evil one. This is Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels, and that's, of course, St. Michael the Archangel. We pray that uh, prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. It's an exorcism prayer. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And that's, of course, the devil. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Okay, that's uh, Revelation is just so full of wild and intriguing passages like this. And we did a whole study on the book of Revelation for the Faith Explained series on Relevant Radio. You can check it out in the archives at relevantradio.com. Let's go to the Faith Explained show page. And this talks about this, this whole passage, and Our Lady appears as well uh, in the book of Revelation chapter 12. It's all about the victory 
the heavenly victory of St. Michael and the good angels over the dragon. And so this is interesting. A lot of scholars like Scott Hahn, they, they say really when, when he's mentioned as a serpent, this isn't a garden variety garden snake we're talking about here. Like you see in some of the paintings of the Garden of, uh, garden of Eden, the book of Genesis, he's actually a great dragon, the Nahash in Hebrew. And this is a scary creature uh, to be sure. And so this, this is amazing. It, this is the, the triumph of Christ, the Messiah, and he will be cast down uh, forevermore. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, a very powerful passage, it talks about Jesus disarming the rulers and authorities and putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so this idea that the cross was this moment where he disarmed the evil powers and just took away their weaponry. And uh, it was an utter humiliation of the forces of evil. And so Satan, his demons, they got kicked out of heaven. Uh, this is referenced in the Old Testament as well. And it's interesting, too, that he's, he's described as the accuser of our brothers, the accuser of the brethren. He's almost like a prosecuting attorney. You know, uh, Beelzebub, attorney at law, I guess you could say. So what's he doing? He's saying, God, you shouldn't forgive this person because they've done this, 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 and the other thing, and don't you know what they did, and don't you know what they did last summer? Well, God declares you not guilty by reason of the cross, by reason of the fact that Christ has paid the penalty for those sins. He knows about them, but he hasn't just forgotten about those sins. He, he's forgiven the sins of all who turn to him, of all who are, who are obviously, the ideal is baptism, is baptism of desire as well, but you need to be baptized. The sins are washed away, pre-baptism, original sin, and then sins committed after baptism. We go to confession, and this prosecuting attorney, the case is thrown out of court uh, because this is what this is what happens. Christ declares us not guilty, uh, and so He takes that punishment for us. So can't press charges anymore. Can't press charges anymore, Beelzebub. There you go. So that, that's one verse to know. And also, this is number seven in our list. First John, the first letter of John chapter three. And I love John's letters because they're so clear and blunt. This is tough talk. It's clear talk. He says this, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Talking about God, talking about Christ. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. He's been born of God. But, but by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So I, I'd encourage you guys to read the letters of John. They're pretty short. That could be something to a project for Lent. Uh, read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. They're short. They're very sweet, though, and very, very clear. So this idea, you can't sort of maintain this lifestyle of of living in sin, living in mortal sin. You can't continue on in this indefinitely and continue to call yourself with a straight face somebody who follows Jesus because your lifestyle belies that. So get to confession, 
if you've got some serious unforgiven sin, get, get that taken care of. So th this is really important. All right. Let's go now to another verse. This is uh, from Zechariah. This is verse number eight in our top 10 verses, how to overcome the evil one. Zechariah chapter three, verses one through four. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And once again, this idea of a courtroom scene. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. I will clothe you with pure vestments. And so this idea of a brand plucked from the fire, we're all that, we're all a brand plucked from the fire. Uh, Christ is in the process of saving us. This idea, he's standing in filthy clothes, Joshua, and he swaps them out for fresh garments. This is what happens in baptism. Uh, we get this white baptismal garment, which signifies what's going on in the soul, the cleansing of our soul. We need to clothe ourselves with Christ. All right, a couple more verses real quick. Number nine, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is the final defeat of the Satan and all of his armies. You can read about this in Revelation. And then the last one is a really famous one. Uh, verse number 10, top 10 verses for defeating the evil one in our lives from the Bible. This is a great chapter to know. Ephesians chapter 6. It's so important. Let's look at verses 10 and 12. We don't have time to read the whole thing, but St. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So St. Paul describes the armor of God. He talks about the shield of faith, for example, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. These, and, and, he, and he sort of describes it with the, the weaponry, the, the equipment of a Roman soldier, which everybody would have seen at that time. They would have known what he's talking about. And that's why I like, I really love that. And again, this, this is not for kids. This may not be suitable for all audiences, a disclaimer, but Another Russell Crowe movie, Gladiator, that opening battle scene between the Roman legions and the barbarians, this is exactly what St. Paul is talking about, the armor of God. And what, is, what does he say, of course? Maximus the gladiator, what we do in life echoes in eternity. How about that? All right. So that, those are the top 10 verses. There, there are many more, and uh, you can check them out. Good spiritual reading for Lent. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Richard in Santa Clara, California. Hey, Richard, how you doing? We're up against the clock. We got about thirty seconds, so uh, go quick. <laughs> okay, sure, no problem. So um, I was just calling to add to something you said earlier about Satan not tempting us or attacking us, for that matter, unless God permits it. And I just wanted to add that I think it's important to distinguish between God's active will and His passive will in His matter. It's not as okay. if something has been, God has been actively willing that Satan tempt you or attack you since the beginning of time, but it's something that he permissively or passively allows in that yeah. instance. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think we see this. That's a great, great point, Richard. And I think we see this uh, in the in the temptation of Christ. If, if the devil's going to try to tempt Jesus, he's certainly going to go after you and me for sure. And as it says elsewhere, we are not unwise to his schemes and the stuff he tries to do. And what God allows as a test, Satan means as a temptation. So he's trying to tempt us uh, to do wrong, uh, to disobey God, to commit a sin, but God is allowing it to happen when it happens as a test because he wants to purify us. And so... Even failure can be a learning experience in that regard. So much we can say, but we'll be back again tomorrow, 23 hours from now on The Kale Clark Show. We'll see you then. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Ayla took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.